yucky wood chip or land on soft, leathery rubber. Well, that just sounds dreamy. That's just the beginning for I want to thank all of you who've been out these last few days and uh, starting the demo of the bathroom and the playground and all these things. It's really fun to see it starting to come together. And uh, by our goal is by September, I think it's September 7th, we'll have a new playground and uh, play area, uh, kids' bathroom. So I thank you to all of you guys, your generosity and everything that's going on. Uh, as you're praying this week, uh, I would love for you, I don't even know if they made a prayer card, but I, I, myself, Matt Lewis, we're going to be up at camp as well this week. We are in a middle school cabin, okay? So a middle school cabin, there's like this sweet, uh, like stew smell of Axe body spray and body gases. And it's just a, it's just an interesting experience. So pray for us as well. It, it, I love, I love this church um, for a generation, 40 plus years. The expectation is that the senior pastor will go to camp with our, our students. And I can't think of a better place to be than uh, at camp this week at Thousand Pines with our students. So I'm excited about that. So we're jumping into that uh, big day for us as a church as I think between middle school and high school, there's like 150 uh, folks going, leaving today for camp. So it's, it's crazy. Now pray for them because they've got like two hours to actually pack clothes. They all have packed bags and bags of rec supplies and outfits, but none of them have packed their clothes yet. So uh, we want to get off on time. It is also a big day today because we are finally beginning the story. We've been talking about it for uh, over a month now that we're, we're, we're diving in to a, a pretty substantial series, 31 weeks. Now, there will be some breaks in there, but uh, if, we're going to spend 31 weeks going through uh, the whole Bible. And uh, we're going to land on some of these key moments and, and help to reveal. And the, and the goal of it is so that we could uh, discover God's grand story in it all. And so if you haven't grabbed one, so I know some people are trying to figure this out. They're asking, do I bring my Bible or do I bring the story or do, and my answer right now is yes. I don't know. So I got a bigger table and I brought everything today. But since you don't have a a pub table to put down there, bring whatever you're comfortable with and figure it out. I've been writing in the story. I've been writing like my notes along the side. And I would encourage you to do the same as we're making points. You might want to write it in where you find it. We will post page number, verse number. So whatever you have, we will kind of show it on the screens and we'll kind of figure out as we go what seems to work best for us here. But uh, grab the bookmark. How many of you uh, have a story, you bought the story and you've already read chapter one? Just show of hands. Awesome. That's amazing. That is so cool. So if you haven't uh, had the chance to do that yet, so our encouragement for you is to read the chapter ahead of where we're going to be. So this next week, you'll read chapter two in preparation for next Sunday. And then there will be questions on the back of uh, the note sheet. You, if you're in life groups, you might want to talk about it or families. Um, there's even questions in the back of here that can just help you think through some of this stuff as you're going through it. So uh, as we go through this, so the story is, it's an abridged version. It is narrative-based. So we're, we're trying to follow the, the, the story part. And so it's, it, it is scripture. You're reading scripture, but um, some of the parts are, are kind of summarized. And it's just to help us kind of guide us through uh, the story of, of what God is doing with his people. Now, these first weeks, uh, 
we are doing what's called kind of a mini-series called Beginnings. And in these first weeks, we'll kind of see the characters. Uh, the key ideas are going to start to come out. We'll start to see some of these golden threads that are weaved through the entire story, even today in week one. Now, every great story begins with a great beginning. Uh, I'm old enough to have been in the theater to see the original Star Wars. And I, it's funny because now when I watch the new Star Wars all come out, everyone has the same reaction because they kind of start the same. You know, you're sitting in a seat and all of a sudden uh, you, I, all the previews finish and then boom, this logo comes up and then boom, the music of dun 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 and then it starts scrolling the words. And the first one, remember, it, just, it felt like this giant ship is going over your head. And as a kid, I'm like... Yeah, I was like so ready for the story to begin and unfold. And in some ways, we're going to see that today. I mean, it is just boom, it begins. And God just comes on the scene and he's creating, and he's doing all these things. And, and so I'm excited for us to see, because what you're going to see is the story begins and we meet someone who is like no other being in all the universe. In fact, it's interesting as, as you read the Bible more and more, people pause and stop and look into the heavens and say, God, who is like you? And the answer, of course, always as they're saying this is there's no one like you. There's no one like our God. And we'll see that from the very beginning. And yet at the same time, what we see from the very beginning of the story is this great God, this powerful God, this God who is worthy of our praise, our worship, and the devotion of our life. This God draws near to us. This God comes first and loves us. And scholars begin to look at this and say, he is so great, he's transcendent, he's above every other thing, and yet he's imminent, he's near, he comes. Who is like our God? And so I want to give you a big idea to kind of capture today. But in some ways, I think what we're going to see is that our big idea today is going to be something you're going to see all throughout uh, the story of God. And so the big idea is this, that the story of God is the story. It's a story of God's desire to be with us. So as we read through the Bible, what we have is we have the story of God and his people. And what we see is that this God, how he wants to be with his people, so he creates. And then when we mess everything up, he redeems and he restores. And ultimately, even as we get to the end, he recreates a world in which we live with him forever and ever and, and everything as he imagined it to be. And so from creation to redemption to recreation, everything is about God and his desire to be with us. Now, this is a fascinating thing as we're going to see as we go through this. Uh, and, and so what I want to encourage you to do is jump to page one. Page one of the story, page one of your Bible, whatever you have, page one. Genesis 1.1. This is going to be the easiest place to find the whole series. Just go to page 1. And I want to show you just a couple key... Now, we are going to be racing today. We have to try to... I'm going to try to give you some of the high points of, in essence, kind of the first nine chapters of the Bible... So I've got my track shoes on. We're going to run. We're going to kind of go. If you miss something, it's okay. I'll try to put as much as I can up on the screens, but just try to capture some kind of key points as we move. Here's the first thing I want you to see about the story of God. A story. It's this. It's all God. It's all God. And so Genesis 1-1, think of it this way. The, the curtain raises. 
spotlight comes down, and boom, it's God. It's all about God. Notice Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. It says this, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Even if we took, just looked at those first four verses, we start to understand, in essence, what the Bible is all about. That this is about God. He is the main character. He is central to the story. It is his story. It does not open with, in the beginning was you, or in the beginning was me. It opens with, in the beginning, God. And everything is about him. 32 different times in the first 31 verses, we are reminded that God is the main character of the story. It is his story. And right away, we see one of the chief things that he does and is, that he is creator. In the beginning, God creates the heavens and the earth. God is the creator of the heavens and the earth. And the Bible captures what this main character God is doing. He is working with his creation. And so it's fascinating because we begin to see something about creation that it's not this, this kind of uh, spontaneous, impersonal part of our history, but it was creative, it was purposeful, and it is a part of a personal creator's response. It's, part of, it's from a personal God. Now, it's interesting because as we walk into this, the Bible is not a science book, although there are things about science in it or scientific things in it. And the Bible isn't trying to be a science textbook. And so we have to try to think about, we start thinking about, and from the very first verse, we, be, we start thinking of things that we've thought about and heard about. So we think about the Big Bang Theory. More than a funny TV show, uh, we think about this idea of how the universe came into being. So I think it's, what, 13.8 billion years ago as the universe has been expanding. And so from this single uh, moment to uh, the expansion of what we have. And, and the challenge as scientists continue to wrestle with this and kind of look at this, one of the things, the key things that, that we're still trying to figure out is what's called original cause. So the idea of where did the matter, where did the gases, where did the energy all come from? What was before all this? And Genesis 1.1 gives us this hint, it gives us this clue that before all this, in the beginning, God. And God creates. And out of nothingness comes life. And I want you to hold on to that thought. Out of nothingness comes life because God is the one who sometimes when you think there's just no way, there's, there's nothing here, there's no possible way I can get myself out of this, this moment, that God is the one who speaks into nothing and creates life. Now we begin to see some interesting things that Genesis 1, 1 and 2, it says, now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Genesis 1, 1 and 2, page, page 1 of the story. Uh, now, there are three different ways that we see that this idea of nothingness that this, and this emphasis that this world was not this, something that God happened upon. It wasn't a fixer-upper. It wasn't a renovation project. But that out of nothing, out of emptiness, out of darkness, where, where, there was, where it was formless and void, God spoke and life come. God brings life out of nothingness. And in these first couple of verses, we are immediately challenged to think about who this main character is. And, and there's some, and, and some ideas. So 
think about this. You are challenged to think of this first line. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, if your head and if your heart can get around that and you don't have a problem believing that, then you're going to find that as we continue to go through the story of God, which is filled with miraculous stories, all kinds of crazy stuff as we'll see, that you're going to have an easier time believing that. If God could create out of nothing, if he could speak and, and bring about a, a world and a universe, if God can do that, then of course he could speak and waters could part. Or he could, uh, Jesus could reach out and touch a man who was blind and give him sight and change somehow the science of what was going on in, in this man, the physiology of what was going on. Or, or when the Son of God dies, that course the father could raise him back to life if you can start with this idea that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth the other miracles are going to be much more easy uh, it'll be easier for you to believe and so right away page one verse one of the entire bible you are challenged to think about an important question Do you believe in God? Now, don't answer it out loud. Do you believe in God? And if you're not there yet, we're so glad you're here. I hope you'll keep coming. I hope you feel welcome here. I hope you will keep searching that out or coming with whoever's dragging you here. And we'll be as nice as we can. I'll be as short as I can to make it less painful. But my hope is that you'll continue to think about this. Do I believe in God? Could God be the one that's behind all of this? So first we see it's all God. But then we see this, that as God begins to create, it's all good. It's all good. It's all good. Um, We were wakeboarding on Friday, and uh, my friend Lance took a serious tumble. Like we we were really concerned, like he was not gonna go to camp like, that's how bad the tumble was. It was like, Lance, are you okay? He's like, it's all good. And I'm like, okay, we're all right. So I don't know if God said it this way. Um, it's all good. Like, there's light and darkness. It's all good. I, but as we see the creation happen, we see this amazing thing that God begins to speak and begins to work and begins to create. Out of the chaos, God creates order. And so we see this idea that there is darkness and, and there is these, it, there's kind of this idea of the waters covering and it, it's kind of this um, ancient idea of these ancient waters. And, it, and think about it, um, if you've ever stood at the beach and you've ever looked out at the ocean and said, I respect you. Like, I, I cannot tame you. I cannot even see to the ends. Of, like you, you, there's this sense of, of the ocean being this untamable thing. And so water has always in ancient culture been this kind of view of something chaotic, something beyond our ability to control. And yet we're told in the, this creation story as God is working that he takes this kind of chaos and he brings to it order. And there's this beautiful kind of poetic, artistic thing that begins to happen The first three days, God begins to create these places. Uh, Day one, there's light and there's dark. There's sky and there's water. There's land uh, on day three. Each of these first three days, we see these these kind of places that God is, is creating. And then we come to days four, five, and six. 
And those places are filled with things that they were created for. So day four, the light and dark, the sun and moon and stars come, the sky and waters filled with birds and sea creatures. The land is filled with animals and humans. And each step along the way, God declares, it is good. It was good. It was good. It is good. And it's fascinating. Now, I want to encourage you as you, again, as we kind of think about all the creation account, there are a lot of questions that come up on this stuff. And it's fascinating stuff. And I hope you know there are great, God-loving, Bible-believing people who think a lot of different ways about this. And there can be some really fun discussions. You don't have to like thrash each other on Facebook or something like you can get in real civil discussions and think well, what about this and what and we can explore these things in great ways there are much better thinkers on this stuff than me here in this church even uh, there are some great people that if you have a lot of questions and you want to explore this more but let me give you one resource that I think might help you I like this book the case for the creator by Lee Strobel um, I think we have a picture of it do we have a picture of it okay um, uh, and the reason why I like it is uh, through this, uh, Strobel was an investigative reporter. I think it was a Chicago Tribune, but I love his approach as a reporter. He's not trying to answer the questions, but he's trying to take the questions that we have and ask them to people that are a lot smarter and just say, what do you think about? And he's kind of, you'll start to realize he's anticipating your questions. So it could be a great resource for you. But I love what's happening here in the story. That we have this chaos that's all being brought to order. But something special happens on day six. Notice what happens on day six. Genesis chapter one, verses 26 to 27 tell us, or, or on the story pages two and three, we see this. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and the wild animals, And over the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Now, as you look at this, I want you to first of all, notice in verse 26, there's something so interesting about God. Notice verse 26, it says, God says this, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Now notice this, three different times in that verse, he speaks of himself in a plural form. And this is important because we will see God reveal himself as we're going through the story, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And from the very beginning of creation, we see that the Father, Son, and Spirit are all involved in the creative process. But it's so interesting, so this God, as he creates, God as he creates, he's making everything in their kinds, So there's uh, these land animals in their kinds or sea animals in their kinds or all these different things in their kinds. And then he gets to us and he deviates from this. And he says, let's do it differently. Let's make mankind in our image. And he, he begins to do something that's so interesting. Verse 27, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Unique to all the creation is us. We are the only part of creation in which we, is made in the image of God. We are the image bearers of God. We reflect his character, reflect his likeness. He, he breathes his life into us. 
which says something about you. You are the crown of his creation. You are incredibly valuable. You were made with purpose. In fact, you'll see there's all kinds of ways the Bible begins to speak of you as you're reading through it. You'll see things like you were knit together. You were formed or crafted like, a, like an artist would, would create something. Uh, that he knows us in the womb and all these amazing ideas. You have incredible value to God. So I want you to pause for a moment. I don't know what messages you have been listening to about yourself lately. Uh, Maybe your boss has told you, you're good for nothing. We don't need you anymore. You're an idiot. Maybe friends have told you you have no value or a boyfriend or girlfriend or any other relationship that you just have no value to them. Maybe it's just you looking in the mirror and sensing that yourself. I'm not sure I really measure up. I have really, I bring any worth to this world. And I want to just pull you back to the very first chapter of the Bible that says something about who we are, that you are the crown of God's creation. You were made with purpose and design and you are loved as you will see. Now, something fascinating happens in this first day. So he's create or the sixth day. So he's creating mankind, and and we have to go to the next chapter, chapter two of Genesis to see it. So he's creating mankind. He creates Adam, and then he's he realizes, and for the first time in creation, he realizes something is not good, and he realizes Adam is he's got the animals, he's bringing them, and nothing's really there's not connection, there's not relationships, there's no one to really share life with, and so for the first time we see God say it's not good. And he says this, he says in Genesis 2.18, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now, I love this description. Ladies, if anyone has ever used this verse to try to show that you are to be man's personal assistant or secretary or whatever it is, you just kindly show them once again this verse because it's a powerful image to be a helper suitable. This is, this is God's own description of himself many times in the scriptures. And, and what God is trying to say is so much more. He uses a word he uses for himself to say, I want one that will come alongside of him, someone who will share in companionship and in relationship and that, this is the idea that he has there. He's saying, in the same way that I want to come alongside of them, I'm going to create someone, and they're going to share an intimacy and relationship and, 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 and friendship. And so we see this amazing thing about God, that, that for the sake of relationship, he, he ends uh, this aloneness. And you have this beautiful picture, and it says that he, so he takes the man, and he goes into sleep, he pulls, takes the rib, he creates the woman. He comes awake, and, and you have this image of God coming and presenting her to him. Now, we had a wedding yesterday, and it was this beautiful wedding. And I don't know if it's just as I'm getting older, I'm getting more sentimental or what it was, but the doors open up. Here's Lindsay. I've known her since she was, I think, in middle school. And her dad's got her on her arm, and he's bringing her down to present her to Gary. And 
I'm like, <laughs> Lindsay, you know, because I'm like, oh, this is it. This is Genesis 2. This is this beautiful thing. And Gary's this, I mean, if we had to have a fight to the death, I'd pick Gary to fight for us, like this big, huge cowboy guy. And even him, he's kind of like tearing up. And I asked, did Gary cry? They're like, Gary cried. And it's like, because it's just this beautiful moment that's happening. And all this is taking place. And, and you're just like, oh, this is it. This is what was happening in Genesis 2. In fact, you, you kind of miss it because we see when Adam sees Eve for the first time, he, he bursts out. I, it, you don't see it. If you had the Hebrew there, it's in all caps and exclamation points and, and happy face emojis and all kinds of things. And the Hebrew translated, God nailed it. I mean, it's just like he sees her and it's just finally... Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. There's just this enthusiasm for what God has done. And there's something very important that you should see in this first part in the, in the goodness of what God's doing. First, we see a God who lives in perfect community. And when he sees man alone, he says it's not good. And so he creates community and he creates relationship. And, and there's something very valuable for us to see. So when we nudge you towards a life group, or if you're new, we nudge you towards uh, Stop by the connect cart or the table out on the patio. What we know is you were made for relationships. You're made to share life and, and intimacy and, and, and community with other people. This is who God is, and he knows this is when it's good in our life. And we see this description. Page four of the story says this, that Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. And for the, a moment in history, we see this the way it should be. Out of chaos has come order. Out of darkness has come life. And it is good. There's love. There's community. It's not just good. It's very good. And we get this tiny little glimpse of heaven and what it will be like. And they lived in the garden. They had everything they would need. And there's only one commandment. There's not 10, not 10 commandments. There's not 613 laws. There's one boundary that God has set up. Genesis 2, 16 and 17, page four of the story. It says, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Now, we don't know for how long, the Bible doesn't tell us, but it seems that for some time, they obeyed this. And as long as this was, there was harmony, and it lasted. And we see that in the beginning, it's God, and it's good, but then it all breaks. It all breaks. Here's the third thing I want you to see of the story, is that it all breaks. And, and by the time you get to page five of this, you come to page five, and you, at the beginning, you see, uh, at the top of page five, you see there is this one, there is this enemy who has come to bring disruption and to, to, to bring chaos back in. We're introduced to the antagonist of the story, and it's this pivotal moment because this, this being will continue to, to veer his ugly head all throughout the story until the very end, until the final battles. And this one that comes... Uh, we see this in Genesis 3.1. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. Now again, there's kind of this 
interesting image uh, uh, of, again, uh, the image of a snake or a serpent was also an image of chaos. And so we see this idea of chaos kind of slithering back into the garden. And in the very good creation, chaos is trying to sneak back in. And, and in this serpent, we have evil personified. Now, when you think of a story, and you think of a hero, and you think of the villain, a lot of times we see them as kind of these equal powers, these equal beings. We're kind of hoping that the hero can kind of get an edge over, over this being. But I want you to see something that's very important, that as we understand the story, the one who comes to oppose God and God's work, the one who comes to entice us and lead us towards what's forbidden, is not an equal power with God. Notice right here, it's important that you see that this being is a created being. And this being is not equal with God. It is a being who's been created by God, who's been cast out by God, and who's looking to to bring destruction to our lives. And God, for a season, is allowing him to exist. But what we see over and over again is that everything this being does, whether you call him the devil or Satan or, or the thief or the deceiver, He's known in many different ways, but what we know is this, is that he is always, everything he leads us towards, as enticing as it is, always brings death and destruction. Jesus, when he was talking about him, said it this way. He said, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. And so we see him come in, and we see his ways, and notice his strategy. He has this strategy to bring chaos. Question Twist, deny, reverse. Question, twist, deny, reverse. Look at Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 5, page 5 of the story. It says this. It says, he says, did God really say you must not eat, any, uh, eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, well, we may eat fruit from the tree in the garden, But God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that if you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Question, twist, deny, Reverse. Question, twist, deny, reverse. Is it any different in our lives today? No one's going to notice. How do you know she's not the one that's supposed to be your soulmate? Imagine what you could do with that little bit of extra money. It's a lot easier to ask for forgiveness than permission. Question, twist, deny, reverse. He is always focused on what is forbidden, always. And and let's be honest, what is forbidden is always, it's enticing. It is enticing. There's always something appealing about it. But what is forbidden always overpromises and it always underdelivers. But the man and woman, they take and they eat. And from that moment, the world is never the same. 
This perfect innocence is replaced with guilt and with shame. And once where they were uninhibited for the first time, they have something to hide. For the first time, barriers become up. And they're hiding from God. And they're hiding from each other. This is what sin does. Sin causes everything to fall apart. And creation begins to move towards chaos. And you know that. And I know that. That's our story as well. Is that when I move towards the things that are enticing but forbidden. And when I partake of those things. The chaos enters back in. And guilt and shame and destruction all find their way in. Division, destruction. It all breaks The relationship with God breaks. The relationship with each other breaks. Families break. The very first family, the very first two sons, anger, jealousy, murder. The world begins to break. In fact, uh, by the time we get to about chapter 8 or 9, well, around chapter 6 when we're introduced to Noah, as we get to that point, scholars aren't sure, but they think maybe there was maybe a, a million people in the world And here's the description. Listen to the description of Genesis 6, 5 to 8 of how the world had kind of just kind of snowballed down. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth. That every inclination of the thought of the human heart was only evil all the time. Every heart, every thought, evil all the time. And the Lord regretted that he'd made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. If you need any indication of how dark and broken the world had become, just read that line again. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. And the Lord moves. It says that, so the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created, and with them the animals, the birds, the creatures that move on the ground, for I regret that I have made them. And then two amazing words, but Noah. But Noah found favor, found grace in the eyes of the Lord. It is a very dark time, and God finds one in a million, one who he bestows his grace on. And through this very, very hard, dark story, let's, be, let's not kid ourselves, the story of Noah and the ark, it's, it's depressing. It, it's not a fun kid story. It is, it's a tough story. In fact, we get to that story and we realize, wow, this book could have been less than one chapter. And the one who said, let there be light, could have easily said, let it all be finished. But we see, once again, the grace of God And God's grace goes out. And and even though it's all broken, here's the last thing I want you to write down. It's not over. It's not over. In chapter 1, we see, even though we break and destroy everything, we see that it's not over. And God starts over with Noah, this ark that's one and a half football fields that can fit 522 railroad cars. He loads up his family and the animals and he hits the reset button. And in this very dark story, there's this ray of hope and God begins to heal the brokenness and God begins again. And we see this little theme that begins to erupt, but Noah. 
Except for one man, we are all in trouble. Except for one man, we are all dead. And we start to see this kind of, there's this lower story, these lower stories going on, but we're starting to see this bigger story be revealed of created to be with God, and we destroy it and fall, but God begins this redemptive process. I, my wife and I took, when we were uh, freshmen in college, we both took this class over at Orange Coast College. Highly re- recommended, even though it probably counts for nothing. It was called Contemporary Film. Our, our homework every week was to go to the movies. And we'd have to write a one-page paper. We learned all about like how movies are made and like the storytelling and things like that. So we're no fun to go to the movies with because we look at each other and go, that's coming up later, you know, kind of thing. So... But I, so let me just kind of show you something. There are a couple moments in this first chapter where if you pay attention to it, you will say, this is coming up later. The first is this. In the darkness of the fall, and when everything is broken, there is this ray of hope that comes. It's found in Genesis 3.15. And it says this, as he's delivering the punishment that comes on the serpent and what comes on the man and what comes on the woman. He says to the serpent, he says these words, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. He says, there will come a time where you will be able to do damage in this world. You will create chaos in this world and you will have your moments and you will have your Friday and you will nail him to the cross. But come Sunday, he is gonna stomp on your head. Is that it? Can you put that in a wrap? And he is gonna stomp on your head and he is going to take you out and And we get this moment right at the very beginning of the story. This is the first prediction of Jesus coming. Found at the very beginning. And there's hope. And we see, even when they sin, we see this kind of idea that's also going to be woven, as we'll see in these next weeks, that that for the forgiveness of sin, there has to be shedding of blood. And so God has to take this innocent third party, this animal, and he has to kill it in front of Adam and Eve. The first time they've ever seen death. And he takes those skins and he wraps them in it and he covers their shame. And we begin to see this idea that there will be this shedding of blood for the forgiveness of sin. And we know that what will happen is that one day the Lamb of God will come. And he will take the sin of the world upon himself and he will shed his blood for our forgiveness and for our life. In fact, the great majority of the story of God is a story of our restoration. God redeeming us. God paying the ultimate cost to bring us into relationship with himself. And so I want to ask you a question. I want to give you a question just to think about these next couple days. Because here's the idea. As we go through the story, I want you to learn the story of God. But most importantly, I want you to learn what it is to know the author of this story. And in this first chapter, what we're seeing is this, is that he is the one who can come even when there's nothing and he can speak life and power into our our situations. He's the one who can come when there's chaos and with a word he can bring order. He's the one that even when we screw it all up, even when it's all broken, he can redeem us. There's hope. There's nothing you've done. There's, you, you haven't gone too far that he cannot walk in this life with you and make you his own and guide you and lead you. See, the, the, here's the wonderful thing. As you walk through the scriptures, 
The reason why, you, as Jason kind of hit on it, the reason why we read the Bible is we hear the story of God and we hear his voice. And as we're hearing his voice, he, we begin to discern how to live life with him. So here's the question I want you to reflect on for this week. And it's this, what would it look like What would it look like for you to grow deeper in your relationship with God during the story? Maybe you have some intellectual questions. Maybe this first part is the biggest stumbling block. Like, I've got to figure out some of these questions about creation and science and all these things. We can help you. Maybe it's just you feel like you've done too much. And there's no way I can. I just feel like there's something blocking me and God getting closer. I hope you see in the very beginning, there's this, way, this invitation of restoration. Maybe you've just never begun a relationship with him. And, and today is a day you begin to say, Lord, I'm going to start paying attention to you. I want to figure out what it means to know you and to walk with you. And so I want us to close with this uh, idea. Uh, think about this question. Let's take a moment to just silently pray. And then the team will lead us in a final song. What would it look like for you to grow deeper in your relationship with God during the story? Take a moment to pray.